0: Welcome to another episode of the Digital Recruiter Podcast, the podcast where we share the ins and outs of what it's like being in the recruiting industry. I'm your host, Clark Wilcox. Uh, Today, I am joined by Sean Coe. He's the CEO of HC Resource. He's an agency owner. He's a coach. He's had extensive background in hospitality, is uh, running multi-site operations in e-commerce. I mean, he is a true business renaissance man. Uh, he's also the host of the Taking Chances with Sean Co. podcast. Uh, and I'm excited to have him share his wealth of knowledge and a little bit of his story here today. Sean, thanks for being here.
1: I am excited to be back on with you. And it's like, you know, the, the power of LinkedIn networking, which I know we'll talk about, but yeah. just found your stuff a couple of weeks ago. Now we're on our, our second conversation in two weeks. So I think uh, you yet to be seen what the forces of these two can do.
0: <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's pretty cool, you know, when it's just when you meet someone and we just start talking and it's identical. Like the the level that the problems you're solving, the way I'm solving problems, we're like very like minded, like, Oh, you're doing this, yeah, I'm doing that. And it's just it's pretty cool to kind of meet someone to kind of help fill in some of the gaps right and i think that's always what keeps progress going and makes this kind of exciting to wake up and what's going to happen today who am i going to meet today right and you know one I'm day on- that was you and i'm on your podcast you're on here now and it's it, it's super fun so um yeah i'm i'm with you man so well let's let's start with this so how did you get started in recruiting
1: man this is kind of a long story so and i would say at first me getting into recruitment was a little bit from my background in operations right so and I, and I want to say this is kind of a great lead into the conversation you had, even finding your content, being a recruiter or, you know, being in operations for as long as I was, I definitely had a bad opinion about recruiters for a long time, but I had a handful of recruiters that I always worked with internally that were great. So, so my background was I worked for Bar Louis specifically for Sun Capital doing about 101 new store openings as a multi-unit, um, was with them from about 2011 to 2016. And, you know, there's a lot of, there's a, there's a lot of pressure when you're doing a new store opening. After about my third one, I started to pick my head up and realize I was the only guy that was hitting all the targets. So from, you know, hourly labor all the way down, you know, from sea from level all the way down to hourly labor, we would hit targets and we would hit the ground running. And after about my, I, I'd say it's probably my sixth, maybe seventh opening, you know, the COO started to approach me and they, they kicked me a little bit out of operations and a little bit into a hybrid role where I actually started to onboard some of the franchises for Bar-Louis as well. And that's really Clark. The It wasn't really my first stab in recruitment, but it was the first time where I was doing three to five openings myself. I still had my 15 to 20 stores that I was operating. And then on the side of that, I was coaching and consulting with, you know, ownership groups that had an interest to buy into Bar Louis. But, you know, God's honest truth is about 99% of them have never really opened a restaurant. Maybe they had some retail experience or they, you know, they had some good business experience, but they didn't really have the system for recruitment. So, So once I started to do that in a plethora, I would say that was probably my first experience of even though I didn't have an external recruitment company, we were starting to assist with some of those. So through my years of operations, you know, we grew Bar Louie. I I think when I started doing new store openings, there was 32 units. And when I eventually left the company, there was 150. So it was a heyday of my career. Um, I absolutely loved what I was doing. At the time when I left Bar Louis, I left to start my e-commerce business. But I, but I had a side idea that I, I really wanted to start a recruitment company. And I think we talked about this a little bit on our podcast. But my colleague at the time, that was my mentor and leader, and I was like, "Hey, man, I, I want to do this. You should come in with me." And he was just like, "It's the timing's not right." And I think you know, recruitment's just a little too dicey. So, so I didn't try it then. I fell into consulting. Um, still was running Feihu, the e-commerce brand. But when I fell into consulting, I started to do some work with, um, I mean, my largest account was I shut down all the fox and hounds when they were going through the restructure. So here I was, and and financially, Clark, on both ends, I was doing a little bit better um, when I was closing down and liquidating, so I was out on my own. But what really, this was the first time in my life that something happened to me. I started to feel terrible about how I was earning money, right? So I'll never forget this. One of my worst accounts that I had to go shut down, I took the call. It was a day before my birthday. I had to go shut down a fox and hound right next door to where I live. So I was living in Denver and it was out in Broomfield, you know, so I drove up there and the original team that was supposed to go and give the employees notice, They didn't show up in time. So normally when I go to close it down, all the employees have noticed. So I showed up, like there were some people that were crying. Some girls actually spit at some of my employees. I mean, it was terrible. We ended up putting all the kids in a van, get everyone a ride home. Yeah. And it was just, but after that day, Clark, I literally went home and I was like, I just sat and looked in the mirror and I was like, you know, I love revenue, but there's, you know, I I essentially left Louis because we couldn't take care of people the way that I wanted to. And then I realized that it wasn't my company. And then I kind of got into this operational consulting and I was pretty much a gun for hire Clark. And at the time I just didn't like what I was doing. So quickly pivoted back into recruitment, um, you know, started the recruitment company on the side. Fahey was growing. This is, you know, take fast forward to about 2020. Um, but about six months before the pandemic, we were fully open and operational and then the pandemic hit. So, <laughs> but that's my story about how I, how I kind of got out of operations and into it.
0: it it's uh Always an exciting time, uh, right? I know that was an interesting year, especially first half of the year for agency recruiting, recruiting. I mean, just obviously people, anyone. It was an interesting time for anyone. Uh, I guess how did that impact, I mean, I guess kind of building out your recruiting agency, because I want to definitely want to talk about scaling, but also the challenges of starting in 2020. What were some of the things that you kind of had in place or like, okay, I have to do this to kind of get up and running. And what were some of the things that you kind of missed in the beginning? You're like, oh man, I wish I had known that in the beginning.
1: Without, without a doubt. So, I mean, and to give full clarity on that. So, so for about three years, when I was transitioning out of the consulting and still had Fahu, we were doing some small scale recruitment, but what I mean, small scale Clark, like we, we were not scaling it. We were not focusing. So the first thing I would say was I saw this as a vertical for revenue way before I actually started after it, right? But I just didn't have the confidence at the time. And what I think it was at the time was I just had too many irons in the fire at the same place. But really as, you know, as I wasn't really trying to just brutalize recruitment and get that turned on, it started to quickly just become like, okay, we're making a placement here. And then through organic, someone else would call us and then we'd make a placement. So that kind of took us to the pandemic. About six months before the pandemic, we were were up and fully operational and, and crushing hospitality. Day one, when it happened, we were, I'll say solely in hospitality, let's just say 90% of our revenue was coming from hospitality, 10% was coming from tech, but all means, we lost 100% of our revenue. We had about 80 to 90K in play uh, the week that all of our clients shut down. And quickly, Clark, like day, day two of the pandemic, I called a team meeting. And it's a strange thing for me to say. It was scary to launch during there, but I think because you know I already had the e-commerce business, I was pretty immersed in what was going to stay on and what wasn't. That moment, and that day, I pulled my team together and said, hey, we're hospitality recruiters today. Tomorrow, we're recruiters. So we took an about face and we gained membership on NPA Worldwide and Top Echelon. Um, And then basically, Clark, at that time, all of my colleagues that were laid off and lost jobs, I would start to onboard them and give them an opportunity. And basically, I completely flipped my script and all my business colleagues thought I was crazy but at the start of the pandemic, we flipped to a 50% profit split. So we put everybody off salaries and said, Hey, you're either going to get laid off. If you want to get laid off, here's what your unemployment's going to be. If you still want to drive this company with me, you're going to take the same risk. I'm going to take the same amount of risk that you're going to, and we're going to make the same amount of money, but we're going to go after it and excuse my language, but we're going to, we're going to get after it and we're going to, yeah. we're going to disrupt this sector during the time. And I think what happened during the pandemic for us, Clark, you know, we brought in about 30 people, about 15 stuck, you know, um, it was difficult to scale. So so what did I do right at first? I think empowering everybody day one on the pandemic and understanding that what I had learned from growing multi-unit facilities and hospitality and what I learned from a couple years of recruitment of, hey, the pain points for how I grow a, a MSP are the similar pain points for how I grow hospitality. But once we got into NPA, We kind of threw ourselves on the sword and said, hey, we're a great recruitment firm. Hospitality's done. We'd like to learn more about MSPs, tech, medical, and logistics. So we got in with our partners. They took us under the wing. And the craziest thing happened, Clark, we went from being infant in the company to the leading split recruiting company for that year. And in 2020 was one of our best years in sales. Um, You know, we beat that the last couple of years, but that was really the start. So I think the thing I did wrong during that time, Clark, was probably not you know, and I'll still talk about this today. We have been signing four to five organic clients a month since that day. The thing that I think I've done wrong, still going into the market that we're going into is we haven't spent enough money on advertisement and we haven't tried to onboard enough clients. And what I mean by that is we're very client rich, But you know, at the same time, you can never have enough clients. And I think even from chatting with you, this is what I'm, even you've helped to influence me being a little bit more collaborative and being open because as much as you know, I can have a great skill set, but there's some of my clients that even my skilled recruiters, I'm going to need someone like you that can help me facilitate that. And I think just getting our name and getting our image and just, just putting yourself out there more, because I know it's scary for everyone. We were talking, talking about this to each other before I got out, but just don't be afraid to own your message and then really put it out there and, and, and go after the folks that resonate with you as well
0: there is so much gold to uncover there. I mean, the humility of just looking at the scenario situation and be like, okay, we were one thing, but we kind of have to be this to survive and giving, you said empowering people, giving people the option, right? It's, it was a really shitty time and yeah. it's, there's not much you can do, right? It just kind of is, unfortunately it is what it is, right? The biggest cliche out there, but that's, that's all you could do, right? It wasn't your attention, but that's, you know, the, the impact that happened. So what can you do? And you gave people the option, and the fact that you went after partnerships and split racks i mean, a lot of times I—I I work with new agency owners that are so hell bent on getting their own clients. They're, I like talk to them, hey, why don't you build up partnerships and all that? Because like they need to learn sales, and they need them to learn the industry and how to sell to hiring managers because it's very different and it's much more nuanced than like, what typical what people are typically trained on or expect. I'm like, go build out some partnerships, you know, make some placements, and it's interesting the people that hesitate doing that. I like, know I need my own clients. I'm like, I get that. But you also need to make money right now and make revenue yep. and you can have good recruiting partners and you could learn how they engage with their clients and you can learn a thing or two, right? Because I'm sure you learned so much from working on other people's reps. Like, oh, this is how account managers and owners and recruiting have been doing it for a while. This is how to communicate with hiring managers and get them to commit to the 20, 30, $40,000 fees, right? I mean, that- that- So when I'm hearing that, that's, that's a huge thing to implement. As, when you're starting out
1: it, it, yeah. and it turned into a trading modality for us too, Clark. And, and, and when we go down further, I can tell you another miss I had for this year. Cause this year we were so client rich, we didn't put a huge focus on the split network, but we have been generating over 250 K in the split networks pretty organically for the last couple of years. Now, mind you, we just beat last year's sales to, to, uh, I'm sorry, Thursday of last week. So we're, we're having a phenomenal year but I'll say this with the caveat that I kind of picked my head up and this has not been a main focus. We promoted a couple of our directors into different industries. And one of my guys, John is like, Hey, Sean, he's like, we're crushing sales, but we haven't done anything with top echelon this year. And like, he was excited and instantly Clark, I just looked in the mirror. I'm like, like, what am I doing? You know? So like yeah. this year we were client rich and we just kind of foregone that. So from that conversation, we went back and we're reengaging, and we're going to try to pull out another 150 from TE at the end of the year. But to your point, the amount of, education that my team got that i got myself right so because at the time i didn't have the confidence to go to uc health and say hey i have grown xyz and in hospitals i've done this in you know hospitality endeavors before but once i threw myself on the sword and we started to make placements the three things that happened that year we became the number one in sales within a couple months after that they asked me to become the healthcare practice lead which i thought was crazy i'm like i don't know that much about healthcare recruitment. I've been doing this for three months. They're like, Sean, but you're the number one recruitment company in healthcare right now for, for, for MPA. I'm like, I don't understand that, but like, okay, so, so I took it. And what I really learned then too, Clark, and I, I know this is a question we're going to talk about, but all a recruitment company is, is a relationship company. And as soon as people can grasp onto that, whether it's a relationship with another recruiter, a candidate or a client, if you can foster and build and nourish those relationships, like it's your kid, you're going to have success. The things where I think a lot of recruiters go haywire is there's so much mundane work, right? And like I, I saw some, it gets boring. Like I'm going to be honest, sometimes recruitment, it, you've got to really keep yourself engaged. Yeah. But I find a lot of times if you don't stay close to the money, which is usually a relationship, a lot of recruiters will spend time making themselves feel busy, but they don't accomplish much. And that's usually the ones I see that get burned out pretty quick.
0: I I, I mean, it's so well said. so well said that's exactly what i see i mean that's what i that's why we have the digital recruiter right the tools are great but how can we systemize some of the mundane really hard stuff to work closer to the money and work you know with hiring managers and candidates and you know the interview the offer stage more of that versus oh i gotta Mm -hmm. i gotta get more candidates or i gotta make another outreach and more business development calls and emails like well what if we can systemize the top of the funnel, really boring stuff, as you said, or, you know, you can use some AI to maybe work a little quicker to, cut, you know, come up with submittals or company research and all that. Like, that's where it kind of becomes fun, right? Like, what can yeah. I do to make the mundane a little bit less mundane, more systemized, and have to get closer to the money? I think people that embrace that challenge, and you definitely have, like, that's the people that are able to, like, that are kind of down with the grind, right? The daily grind of all this, because it's like, all right, well, there's a solution, and we can do something about this, because it's an amazing time. To be in recruit, you know, agency recruiting, because there's, it's a tough year, but there's also so much opportunity. It's it's like a weird, interesting balance. Um, it you, is, you, it yeah. is. Go
1: 2023, ahead. I know, is it, it's been rough for everybody. I mean, and yeah. Clark, I'm going to tell you, like, we're feeling it. Like we're 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 it's it's a weird year for us. Like we're up significantly in sales. But the client acquisition is not happening as organically as it was, right? And we can kind of tell that people are fighting for market space. So, and again, when I talk to folks like you or even talking to myself, it's like, I think now is the time if you're an agency owner too to to get on you know, market acquisition and try to get in front of as many clients as you can that, that resonate with you and build those relationships. And no, look, it's the fourth quarter. Like being honest, most enterprise clients are going to be difficult to sign going into the fourth quarter with budget spend. But at the same time, like, you know, the work that we do today is really setting us up for the success for 2024. I yep. think 2024 is going to be a little bit dicier than this year, if I'm being honest. Just, you know, again, I'm over here at my offshore in Romania. Um, the inflation that's starting to hit America has definitely impacted some of our inter- international clients in Europe. You know, like when we when we sanction other countries, it hurts when the dollar goes up, it hurts other places a lot more than America. It takes a little bit longer to come back in. So, so we're seeing some some hesitancy that we haven't seen before. But all in, you know, we're still ramping up. So I think it's just you, you got to keep your eyes on the prize and understand that we're in the people business. So,
0: uh, it, people business, you said, kind of fighting for market share. I've been talking to a lot of clients about the twenty twenty four planning. And it's been in September and I've been doing that, you know, for my own. So even a smaller shop, you know, people think like, oh, you don't have to plan. Like you can kind of take a month at a time and all that. Like, as you said, a lot of the hiring decisions or new client decisions, November, December, a lot of those get pushed off till January. So plan for that, right? You really got another five weeks of solid recruiting and make getting offers and all that. And then for me, it's like my brain just turns off for November, December. Everything is a bonus that that comes through. That doesn't mean that you stop it or anything like that, but it's a great time to... You know, plan out the accounts that you're going to be targeting. You know, what's the content strategy you're going to be like getting out there? You're going to, you know, create a podcast like this. As you said, like how are you going to get in front of your market and your clients like consistently? Because what I'm hearing is like you sign, you've been focusing on quality of clients, not so like quantity. So there's got to be you got to be probably getting a lot of roles from each of those clients, and you're probably getting more market share within each of those accounts and companies as well. Like that's kind of one of the ways that I've seen people like yourself who've hit records this year in their own firm kind of get that they already they just did more with the current clients they had, right because you had identified it's a
1: hundred percent yeah and and the other i mean we we signed a handful of new clients but but also what's happened with that is so and again with us being it it weird some people out i I would say to some agency owners i think you can absolutely there's riches and niches right riches and niches however you want to pronounce it but there's riches in that and i think that if you are really focused on one thing you can do well at that where it's a little different from my company and really with my background like I'm a true operator, right? I've got some marketing background, but I'm an operator and I love to grow brands. So once I saw that those pain points were similar everywhere, I just kind of rolled out the same systems. But again, our model with hospitality is You know, we stay contingent until a client proves himself to us and we prove to them. But where a lot of recruiting companies don't want to work with the internal team, or even if they do, you feel like you're working against the internal team, Where we go in completely different. It's like, hey, we're going to start this on a contingent base, but we have a vision. We have a vision of you filling promotes not holes. So like you're fully staffed, right? Just stick with me on this vision. 18 months from now, everybody is producing money. The only upgrades that we're working on are the ones that you want to promote. And you're going to have backfills. Obviously there's going to be some turnover, but like, let's get out of this churn and burn because when I sat on the board, right? Like, so when I was with Bar Louie, I've been on the other side for these conversations. So things I can tell you that would drive me crazy every year. We usually didn't have our budgets finalized until February of the year we were in. We had tentative budgets. And this is for massive companies I was consulting for. I'm saying international brands. They'd have the throughput put out, but they wouldn't have the the devil in the semantics. Then what a company does is, hey, we're going to bring in all these internal recruiters or we're going to work with external recruiters. But what always frustrated me is the actual recruitment expense, not for their internal team, would usually on any brand I've consulted for, any brand, it always hits the G&A. So it's just an afterthought. So a company will go about face, they'll start getting good hires, and then all of a sudden, six months to seven months in, an executive will see the score or or see the price, and they'll cancel all things. Then what happens, six months go by, they get understaffed, washer, and 3 P. So where it really works for us in in kind of our modality is our whole goal is we want big clients, right? So some of the clients that we're working with in my background – me doing that many openings, it did help us get a good start, right? So, I mean, I started off with probably 500K of open wrecks the first year that we opened. I don't think that's natural for every person, but when I lost that Clark... That's when I instantly replaced that with top echelon and we didn't lose a beat during the pandemic. Like the pandemic for us was scary, but as far as revenue went, our revenue continued to go like this. We had a couple of weeks where we lost everything. And then from, I think, what was it? March, it shut down a couple of months after that. We were right back to the races. So I I do think it's important for New agencies, when they're going out to sign clients, so to understand what it is they specialize in and make sure they're replicating that kind of client. Because I will tell you straight up, Clark, we we have fired some clients that we wanted to work with because we just didn't work well together. And we have some premier clients that we work with right now that are maybe having an ask that we're not the best ones for. So like we're really good above entry level. We're going to teach your team how to do entry level are, and I'm sure you know some of the tactics we're using, but when we're going after some of those entry-level positions, if they're not responsive on the platforms that we're trying to communicate with, we're just not the fastest for there. So, so I think it really helps know what those clients look like for, for the agencies as well.
0: Well, I mean, it's so many good things. I mean, you mentioned the importance of knowing yourself, what you're good at, right? Having your boundaries. Laying out a vision for prospective clients and current clients is so important. And I love that you approach it that way, and that you brought this up. So a lot of things that people new to recruiting or people that have done it for a while and just maybe came from agency recruiting and just had success and they brought some clients with them, but and they've just kind of, they just keep everything kind of going, right? It's just the times are getting good. But then now I think this year, people are really been forced to look at the whole business impact that recruiting has. It's not just get a rec, fill a rec. There's a lot more. So I love that you've laid out the vision, you know, tell me, what does that do? You no, know, cause I want to talk about the importance of client relationships. So what does that do to kind of set the tone in the beginning? And how have you kind of seen some of those better relationships evolve when you've laid out that vision, you kind of look back like, Hey, remember when I said, this is, this was going to happen. And now it's happening. Like what's the importance of that, right? What has that done it's, for you?
1: It's, it's, it's everything I would say in and, and full transparency, understand this. You can't control other people and you can only control your own boundaries and what it is you're setting out to do. Everybody's got to have a conversation there. But when you set that vision, first of all, it lets the people know. So I can tell you, um, I'm not going to say the client name because I don't have the approval yet to use this as a uh, as a case study, but I will by next year. So let's just say one of the enterprise clients we're working with this year hated recruitment companies uh, the gentleman that brought me in was was uh my counterpart senior director of operations we both worked in bar louis so when this gentleman hit me up he was like you know sean we've got a big task it's a legacy brand that's came out of bankruptcy with new ownership so i mean they're off to the races they're doing all the right things but they had a very heavy task when i painted the vision so i had one person that knew me well and we're presenting to the board and they told me their total spend i said look I want you to try this for, for just six weeks. And, and if it doesn't work, you have the other recruiters. But I said, instead of competing against us and I guess to start off with first Clark, I think like I'm on the board still, right? Cause I've been in so many of those conversations with Bar Louie and I've been on so many of the other side when we have like fired a recruitment company and I had like seven hires that were about to start. And all of a sudden I couldn't start them because I was going through an agency and we had to go back. But I think once you paint that vision and then you have boundaries First of all, not everyone's going to buy into it, but on a discovery call, I I don't think this is going to sound weird to you. I am not pitching on a discovery call anytime. I have never tried to sell myself on that discovery call. I I am truly trying to match here. Here's what my company does and we do well. Here's where our end game vision is. So even on those discovery calls, we pause and get some feedback and, you know, we're reading the room of like, you can see if some people are going to have buyer's remorse, but we've got firm boundaries that we, it took us a while to establish if a client is not at 3.5 million of annual revenue and/or funded, they're too small for us to work with. Our KPI that we're looking for is five consistent hires per job title per month. If they fall a little bit under there, we, we'll still work with them and try to get them up to where they need to be. But really for our subscription model, we want to see them at five consistent hires for for all 12 months because that's when we can figure out through throughput of, okay, Where are you guys spending advertising dollars on? Because again, for most recruitment companies, understand that your cost value should also be, there's no way that a recruitment company should be placing the same advertisement with the same copy that the client is in the same locations, contacting and targeting the same people. So when we went into Ruby Tuesdays, yeah, you might need to edit that out later. When we went into that client, (laughs) when we went into that client. We said, hey, why don't your internal team take the right division? I'm going to tell you exactly what, what we do. I'm going to give you 100% visibility on all of my costs. So I let them know how many LinkedIn recruiter licenses we're running, what it's going to be. Because I said, at the end of the day, here's what I think I can do for you once we've fixed it for the entire company. But first of all, you guys have got to hold on to retention because if you can't retain, this isn't going to work. So let's do this for six months and see how it runs. Now, fast forward to today. We fixed that the one division of the company and their internal recruiters and the entire other external recruiters are working with seven other external recruiters. They're still at the same stage in manpower that they were seven months ago. So I I think in those processes, though, what's happened now is, again, Clark, you know this, um, working with big companies, we had a big bill for them that month. And they said, you know, Sean, like it's getting a little expensive, but I remind them on the, on, on the first discovery call. So we talk about the subscription model. When I first talk about the subscription model, everyone hears retention and they think I'm trying to price gouge. So this is actually a benefit for me though, right? Cause they're like, they get very pushy at first. I'm like, look, I'm not pushing it. I just want to remind you that when you see how successful we are and you get surprised by that bill, I'm going to remind you that I offered this first. So it makes it very easy for me now, Clark. And and previously, we weren't doing it that way. But now when that bill comes up, I'm like, hey, so why are we dragging our feet? Like, why are you still working with external recruitment companies? Why are you still have six internal recruiters that are not performing? Why don't you save some money and, and the X amount of dollars you'll pay me a month and I want the agency owners to hear this. You have to know the business so well that you can show your savings because when I go in, the only part I'll pitch at is I'm truthfully not pitching. I'm trying to negate my expense by saving my client money because I only want to work with people that I can be a partner with. I have to have our clients Clark. Like I have to be able to go out and say, I am proud to represent that brand. I will talk about them live. I will film them. I I, I want to celebrate them. So, in a long way, man, I think if you don't have boundaries, you're going to be chasing the almighty dollar. And if you're chasing the almighty dollar, you're going to be chasing your tail. If you have firm boundaries and you know what it is that you do, you can at least establish with the framework. And then again, you're checking that framework with your team. And then you're checking that framework with your team to the client, because just because your framework, I, I know what we do is great. There's some clients that we have worked great with. There has been some times where they have an ask that's a little bit outside of our comfort zone for them. And that's when I also have the courage to say, Hey, look, I'm so committed to your success. Let me refer a couple other recruitment companies that can specialize in this, because as much as I'd like to just, I, I'm not here to just take your money. I want to see you grow for 10 years, because I know if I'm not super transactional with you, when you need help, you're always going to come back to me. So
0: it's a masterclass and I I, I hope the people listen to it really appreciate the the approach because it is the one that i advocate for like learn the business pain but learn it with your framework right and so you're checking off your boxes you know for the client like the prospective client like do they check off your boxes are they making some of those verbal agreements ahead of time because those are so important to draw out those questions and you said you're not pitching like this is how we operate and we know who we work with best and all that like that's very powerful to these companies, they're not used to hearing that from agencies and recruiting agencies, like at all. Like even some of the the bigger ones, like it's it's going to be more of like a numbers game, not a vision partnership type game, uh, you know. Because I remember kind of seeing that at, at the Aerotech. You said one yeah, thing. I've... Oh, go ahead.
1: No, no, go ahead. I'm just uh, backing you up
0: there. I, yeah, I was just going to say you said one thing about your framework and being on the same page with your team, and this is something that's come up a lot, and I mean working with owners, especially that are learning how to scale, they don't kind of, they, sometimes they don't understand the importance of having the recruiters involved in not the oh, whole sales process, but part of the sales process. So I love that you brought that up. And I want to dive in, like what, how do you approach that, right? With your team and your recruiters, like what parts of the sales process they're in on, how they participate, you know, I'll, I'll let you go from, you know, go from there.
1: So, if it's okay, I'll I'll kind of start it in chronological because we've tried a couple of yeah. different aspects and I, I I think we're landing on the one that works. So so first of all, when we were starting off, I tried to do full desk recruitment and we've tried full desk recruitment a couple of times and it works. And, and I'll say this, I've got, and again, so me being an operations man, I've had, when I was with Bar Louis, I had no less than 1500 employees, was controlling about 150 million annually. So like I got really schooled and trained on one-on-ones, you know, making sure people are respected. And then, you know, in the markets I was opening for three years in a row, I was director of the year crushing sales, but like really it was my team. You know what I mean? It was my team and I was empowering. some. I kind of learned the importance of that there. You know, I had 15 units or so. And like some of my GMs, I wouldn't see every, every month in person. So I really had to be good at empowering people and getting to know them. So to start off with the full desk recruitment, I, I think this was a mistake I made number one. So because even in those conversations, I have some people that are just, they want to be B2B, right? And, and I want to get them there. But I took some of those individual conversations and just said, hey, now all of you guys are B2B. And then, you know, we find out, oh, oh my God, like there's not really enough time during the pandemic to like learn a new recruitment cycle, contact the client, take a kit, you know, so yada, yada. What we started to do really short order is we, we we outsourced for a little bit to some lead generation companies. We had mixed results. We had a couple that worked really well, but Again, me being from hospitality, I just took a look at my business and said, in same same way of the conversation we have with automation – where is 80% of my time being wasted that's not that's only leading to 20% of my revenue or maybe 0% of my revenue? And when we took down on it, so I, I quickly hired some, some sorcerers, right? So I'm over here in Romania, have an offshore. We started to build out a team of sorcerers, but we also started to build out a team of what I would just call assistants. So like this might sound crazy to people, but I've got one girl on our team that crushes it. She's retired wanted to work a little bit more, all she does is post all the jobs to all of our platforms for us. You can do it through some automation, but she's so good and and controls that so well. And she acts as a little liaison kind of communicating from the client leads to taking the, the intake form to making sure everything's accurate to putting a timestamp on there. So that freed up the recruiters to recruit a little more. As we started to grow, we hired a full team of SDRs with some of the automation you and I have been talking about, we, we kind of drilled that down from a team of seven to about a team of two where we're really, they're really taking warm leads to get them onto a discovery call. Um, but I think the most important thing in there is even when I talked to all my team, right? So know that if you've got a team of recruiters and my, my business is a little bit different. I encourage my recruiters to, for the ones that have signed clients, that they have some ownership in that, right? Like we're splitting profits through there. But at the same time, I have certain recruiters that just, they want nothing to do with that. They just want to fill the gap. And and I think the the right way to start talking about this is, number one, if you have a business, I don't care if it's two employees or 42 employees, you should be having weekly one-on-ones, not monthly, weekly. A one-on-one doesn't have to be a different set and setting. It can be just like you and I are having right now, Clark. Hey, Clark, I want to check in with you. I just want to see how your recs were going this week. How are you feeling? How is this new client? It it can be that quick, or it can be a sit-down. But you got to communicate with your team because you have to know you have to know how you can push the team and how your team can push you, and you have to know where their boundaries are at. And then at the same time, I'm consistently saying, "Here's my A to B, guys. Here's my A to, here's my vision where where we're all at in ten years. And I think if you stick with us, this is where we're going to be. But where's your A to B? Because just yeah. like with the clients, do you know like. It, I've got a couple of guys that work with us that kill it, Clark, that own another business and they're only going to be part-time for me. And I knew that coming in and, and we both talked and, and that's fine. So I think, I think a lot of new owners out there make it harder on themselves because they, 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 they get stuck in this perfection. And I think if you just talk to people like from your client side to, to your team side and really get to know them and understand what makes them tick, like, why are they choosing to come work for me? Like, yeah. w- what am I providing that someone else doesn't? How can I keep, make them feel a little bit safer? And then trying to see where they're trying to be in five and 10 years. And then at the same way, Clark, does this align, right? Just with the team, like we, we've we had some of these conversations. Hey, I love you being here. In the next six months, we're going in a little bit different direction. You don't have to go in that direction, but I want to give you enough notice now. If we start to move this way, how's that going to feel for you? If we start to leave this industry a little bit behind, I don't know if I'm going to have as many wrecks for you. I want to be in front of this conversation and I'd love for you to come over here with us. But if that's not what you want, I want to be a transparent, honest, human with you first. And I want to do the right thing to support you. So hopefully that was a, I answered that question.
0: (laughs) Oh, it it was, it was a great, I mean, it was a great answer in terms of you lay out the vision for them, but you want to find out, right. You said they're A to B, like, where are they trying to get to? And because you mentioned in the beginning, you know, it wasn't your own company. So you didn't necessarily have control over how you treated people, both from a client and internal. And it clearly looks like you, you took that, you know. You attack that head on with your own company, and like oh, this is the way it's going to operate. This is the way we're going to do it. And you, know, you have that choice, right? And you get to you know choose how you approach that day to day, week to week. So I, I I love that. I, I couldn't agree with that approach anymore Between you know finding what works for you is it full desk, is it split desk, is it having sourcers and SDRs and part time people? You know in this world and society and in, in the remote working remote is much more accepted right it's kind of like the industry standard in a lot of places and um with especially what we can do in recruiting you know you you have to look at it a little bit more creatively and people want to be part of something that has some purpose some meaning right They, they don't want a drone job anymore and i think you're approaching it for some like just a humane level it doesn't have to be this like look at me i treat people better it's just like this is just doing it. This is just checking in on them, right? Just like you got checking yeah. around the table at family dinner. Hey, how was your day? What are you working on? All that. Like, it's just you take that approach. It works in business. Now, you still have to have your KPIs. You still have to hit your numbers and like, where are we going? As you said, like the vision, but the day to day is just kind of checking in, right? And you're looking to constantly 100%. diagnose, and people will tell you if you create that form, and it's not that crazy, but it can That's, be hard to stick with, you know? So. That-
1: A hundred percent. And that is the key. I think if, if you don't make people feel safe, they're not going to be honest. And same way to your point, if you don't systemize this, it would never happen. And I had a really good leader a handful of years ago in one of my last jobs, I think it was before Bar Louis. um, And he just, you know, he said something to me because it was another multi-unit concept. And he's like, Hey, if we don't schedule things, they'll never happen. But I find this crazy thing that if we just schedule it, we can fit in as much as we need to. And I'm not big on meetings, but when I, when I look at my year, like we start out, same thing like you, Clark, we're preparing for 2024. We're having conversations right now about our, our weekly team meetings, what time they should be, you know, our check-ins, our our quarterly one-on-ones, our, our, bi, our bi-yearly annual meetings where we all get in person because we're remote. But we're talking about that and getting on the calendar. And I think, you know, just like with, and I'm sure you train all, all your clients in this too, just like with the systems you roll out. A system is great, but you have to run the system. The person has to become disciplined enough to run the system. And... and I don't know if you see this as much too, but I just find, you know, you're such a breath of fresh air to me because there is so much, I don't want to say bad. I don't think there's bad recruiters. I think so many people have been beaten down by the industry that they come off as like a little bit of victims. You know, I'm like, you're not victims of this. You don't have to work with a shitty client. You should be pushing back on clients and even good clients. Like you should be able to have a relationship where if they're looking at you as just a recruiter and I don't mean this is a bad way, but you're probably going to make recruiter money. If you can, to like how Clark's teaching, if you can understand pain points and you're still recruiting, but if you can come in and truthfully consult and say, Hey, here's my fee, but I'm going to save you X. You might actually save money by coming from me. And you know, a big thing that we want to do is knowing how much loss a client has. Cause, mo- Cause most of the time, guys and gals, they're going in with gaps. So how much, if you don't have an RN on, on site, how much revenue are you losing per shift, per RN, if you don't have a level two threat content, You know wh- whatever the position is, drill that down. And if you're not an MSP owner or a doctor owner, there's this tool called LinkedIn and there's these things on the other side called humans. And to Clark's point, if you just ask and start to have conversations, I promise you guys, you can learn almost anything you want. You just have to have a bit of humility to say, hey, I'm trying to do X. I don't know enough, but I'd love to learn more from you. And not I think weird. you'll see this too, Clark, but you got to be a student- and an educator at all times, like I am trying to learn way more than I can teach. Like I'm honored that someone wants to learn from me and hear from me, but I still feel like I've got so much to learn, you know, and I'm just trying to saturate as much in as I can.
0: Dude. Amen, brother. I I feel the same way. It's, it's funny being a coach because I constantly have to learn things and I'm updating it. I'm learning how people learn. And I look back to where this thing was six months ago and a year ago, two years ago, I'm like, I, I like I laugh at what this thing like what digital recruiter was two years ago because it's just so much better now. But I also look at it now and it got it's got to be even better next year, right? Like, and it's just like yep. I'm excited about that, but also excited about what we're teaching now. And as you said, just that humility. I want to learn more. I want to learn about you guys and your problems and all that. And it gets away from like the hey, what's your fee or send some resumes. It's like hey, I'm in here to collaborate and have partnerships. And sometimes people don't, recruiters don't understand. You might be the first person, especially in agency recruiting that's ever approached it that way to these companies are hiring managers. Yeah. And I'm sure that's yeah. happened to you And they're like, oh, well, this is new. Like they're just surprised because no one's done it and been intentional to do it. And that is a huge opportunity. We talk about opportunities, it's not necessarily in just spending more and everything else. I think that's the opportunity of like organic content is that you can show that you can be that way and you can think that way. And that's what we teach on content It's like, show them that you can think through business problems and hiring problems 100%. beyond just like, oh, here's another copy and paste chat GPT with the rocket emoji. It's like, all right, I'm seeing that everywhere. Like, like be original, like let's give, give me something, right? Like give me the way you think about business problems.
1: Yeah. And that's how that's how I found you. It wasn't just the the when I say the quality of your content, Clark, like, again, you didn't know this about me and I talked, but like my background in operations, as soon as I read what you're writing, I'm like, this guy knows what he's talking about. And he's not doing fluff. And it's still great. And it's still engaging, but it's exciting me. And like, every post, like, you know, I started like your post, and I'd see more. and I'm like, Oh, after about the fourth or fifth one, and then we both said it, even when I had you on my podcast, I was smiling for any of Clark's, any of Clark's viewers. I was ear to ear the entire time Clark was talking because I hope you feel the same way, Clark. But it was the first time where I was resonating with everything you were saying. I'm like, my God, yes! Like, I just wanted to high five you, give you a virtual high five, and everything you said because it's we don't have to be in competition with each other. Understanding what was it? Was it 200 billion that was spent in staffing last year? I'm probably misquoting that a little bit. I it, think it was, it was 150.
0: Number. I actually looked this up earlier this week. That's why I know. It was like about 150 uh, billion last it's year.
1: It's a yeah. massive amount. I mean, and, and to the point of like Clark saying too, like. I feel the same way. We pick our heads up and laugh and just say like, almost chuckle, like I'm in Europe right now. I've been in Europe for two years. I fell in love with a woman that I never would have met if I didn't take a chance on myself to get into business, you know? And like, just through, through the idea of growing and expanding brands and kind of following that passion of following good clients, I've been to 71 countries. I mean, I've been all over the place. I'm empowering some people and it's just been a really exciting time. But I think, you know, what everyone has to know too, is just really know what it is that you're great at and then really go after that. So like if you're in an agency recruiter or you're looking to start off in there, just think about what you've already monetized already. Cause like, you know, again, for you, Clark, you had a good background. I fell into my background. So I'm like, I wasn't a hospitality recruiter, but I was an operator and I knew I could speak the lingo. And maybe if you want to learn a new industry, like to what Clark and I were saying offline a little bit first, get some of that revenue going where you're comfortable. And no one says you, you never have to stop, but just I think be realistic when you, when you're getting the start going.
0: Yeah. It, it's such a great point. And I agree with you about the high five, right? If I'm not smiling out really, I'm definitely grinning inside because I'm just like nodding yeah. my head here. I'm like, God, oh, this is so good. I mean, this is exactly what I coach and I preach and I, I just, I love when I talk and I meet someone that's kind of been through it on, in their journey and I kind of sees the problem and the solution kind of being the same thing, but then I'm learning so much from you. I'm reminded so much. I'm like, man, do I have a one-on-one with like every single person? Cause I mean, you know, I've added a couple of new people. I'm like, do I have a one-on-one in my calendar with them every week? Like, if not, like, man, I got to set that up after this call, right? Cause I have it, you know, I have it every day with most of my team, but then, you know, I need to have that with really anyone that touches the business. So I'm like, it's like helping audit my game in a sense. And that's like, that's kind of the fun things of, about conversation like this and about kind of our next topic that I want to talk about, which is kind of the power of networking. I mean, I'll answer first very quickly. It's helping me analyze my own game. And talking to someone like-minded that's super successful like you are, I'm like, oh, wait, am I doing that? Like, that's right. Like, that is key, right? Like, I got to go back and do that. But, yeah, what what are you, you know, for you, the power of networking, um, I know you and I are kind of in a similar space. But, you know, the power of collaboration, staying on the cutting edge, like, what does that mean to you?
1: Well, so I don't forget to say this first, because I I definitely got to play Uno reverse on you and give you one right back on, on my podcast last week, as much as I think I know, and learning from you, you know, really investigating some of our automation workflow. And I know what we've got is good, but it's very cumbersome. And just listening to how you approached it and some of the tools. Made me pause. Same thing. And I left the call and I went and looked in the mirror and I'm like, is this really the best way? And like, Sean, you already know it's not the best way. It's it's yeah. the way that's working right now. You know what I mean? So yeah. I already went back and kind of reflected on that. So it, it's great to be able to help each other. But the power of networking, man, like where do I start? Um, I probably don't come off as someone that's too shy because I'm, because I'm not really, right? Like I've I've always – love to communicate. And when I, when I was in Bar Louis, I, I loved to, to chat with my team. I love to go to conferences and I give speeches to 5,000 people, no problem. But for years and years, Clark, I mean, honestly, until say the start of 2023, may, maybe January, maybe February, I really wasn't creating content. I wasn't putting my voice out there. Um, and we were growing this much, but like, I just didn't see the point in it. Well, there's two parts. I think I had a little bit of imposter belief because I I don't know if I was feeling this consciously, but I was like, what if people don't like what I was saying? Even though I'm not really a people appeaser, I think even though I'm so like overt in some of the stuff I did, I think there was a little nuance in me that was just kind of afraid to do it. Yeah. But once I started to put our content out there, you know, and even just about like, like you said, everything that I post, we have a cadence, but I'm actually trying to put out right? I don't care about likes. If one person can read one of my posts and they have a nugget that they can take out and they can implement that day and it impacts their business or a loved one or a team member or one-on-one, I'm super happy. What tends to happen with the networking too, and when you leave things out in perpetuity, like all this content lives out there. About after six months of posting, you know, in in a couple podcast episode, candidates I were talking to were starting to reference a podcast. And like, I don't think we have that many downloads yet. But then I'd start to get some client calls and every client call I'd be on and every client call I'd represent the, Hey, Sean, I checked out last week's podcast. Oh, that was great. You know, and it just started to, it just started to snowball and upwards of this still like Clark, we haven't spent any money on marketing of this yet. We'll start advertising it soon, but just in, in nine to 12 months of organic posts and getting my team to do that, I've met you. I have signed at least 10 clients from organic posts that like I didn't have them set up in a cadence. I didn't message them. We just started communicating just like you and I did. Um, I think you and I are probably going to have some endeavors that we do, you know, at least collaboration on moving forward. Yep. Um, you know, and the strange thing with networking, I rediscovered Clark and had the courage to say, Clark, I'd like to have you on my podcast because Clark had a, one of my colleagues on his podcast that I had no idea you guys knew each other. And, like, and the list can just go on and on and on. But I think yeah. you know, the power of networking is, especially in a recruitment business, if you focus on like what Clark was saying, earlier, if we focus on fostering those relationships and nourishing those, the revenue is going to come. It, I promise you it's going to come. But yeah. if you're chasing the revenue, it won't. And then to the power of networking, just you know, even for myself, we were doing so much great just not as many people knew about it. So don't be afraid to celebrate your wins and don't be afraid to show your thoughtful leadership and really put it out there. Because I think yeah, that content, like the content that made me resonate with Clark is probably the same content that made my clients resonate with me. I understood Clark's thought process before I ever talked to him. And I knew it, it wasn't fluff. There wasn't, like yeah, to your point, there wasn't rocket ships in there from ChatGPT. There were pain points <laughs> from specific issues that I knew that you knew how to fix. And it just gave me a, it gave me a lot of confidence to chat with you.
0: I love it. I mean, this whole episode, I hope people play it over and over. I mean, there's so many. I'm excited for the clips to come out. And, and this whole thing could be a course just on what you've talked about. And the content, that imposter syndrome is interesting. I dealt with it a few years ago. Oh, what are my family and friends going to think? And then I, just after the pandemic, and I mean, personally, I think some people know this about me, just with my faith and everything. And I was like, you know what? I, I only care what God cares about. You know, it's, you know I, I don't care what anyone else thinks. I was like, I've, I've, I've been this enough to know that I want to find my tribe. I know they're out there. And like, that's what I cared about. I didn't care what my ex coworkers thought or family and friends. I was like, I know I got something to say. I've met enough people that are like-minded. I want to go find more of them. Right. And I want to draw them in. And I'm like, if I'm not going to do it, who else? And I don't want to live with that regret. Cause I was like, I've learned some things here That's and I'm cute. so excited about learning automation and content. I'm like, recruiters got to know about this. Like I, like this can help like ease the grind. And like, that was my mission. And then it's just completely snowballed. And I've seen that with you and it, it's to your point, it gives you the confidence and the courage. Like, Hey, I can reach out, you know, and have that conversation. And I was pumped to get your message. I was like, absolutely. You know, it's just like, you know, our, our like, you know our common connection and, and everything else. And it's just, it's fun, right? Networking is kind of a buzzword, but this becomes fun if you keep at it and you're just looking to kind of give and get your insights and knowledge out there. But as you said, have humility behind it, right? I would say half the time I'm posting to myself, right? Or things I wish I knew in 2014 <laughs> when I was starting at Aerotech. So like, I'm trying to make it easier for the next person, just that little bit, so...
1: I don't, I don't mean to laugh so hard, but like that, that is me almost a hundred percent of the time. And you know, my, my, my fiance is also the director of marketing. She had a marketing company before, but when we're working on content, a lot of times we have a content calendar, but like, let's be honest, the week of business before oftentimes influences the content that we're going to put out. And most of the times I'm putting content out, it is to help other people, but there are things that we just went through, you know? So, yeah, that. so so a little bit behind the scenes, like it's uh we've got a lot of content to cover when you're in a recruitment company because there's a lot of crazy stuff that happens out there for sure.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, we were talking about that yesterday like with, with a content team. Of I want to plan stuff out like three months ahead if I can because we have so much and we can cut up the clips and repurpose and everything, but – I'm also leaving a window. Like, I want to be able to see it and I want to be able to just like go in and like write something or do something like in the moment as it comes up that like I can put in there and replace. Like, and that's just kind of the the, the ebbs and flows Mm -hmm. of creating content and it's scheduling. But as you said, if a great story happens or like a point that you want to make, like that's going to go into next week's, you know, week for sure. So,
1: well, especially the last two years we've had, right? I mean, I feel like every three days there's some kind of crazy new information that's coming out, whether it's in recruitment or economics or like, World War III, I mean, you just name it. Just the last couple of years has definitely been a lot of information for, for people to digest, I think. So kind of breaking it down and taking it piece by piece is the best way to approach it.
0: I, I, agreed. I mean, a piece by piece, being authentic, being true, because you can never be the most polarizing. There's not really any business sense too in in, in doing, a lot, doing that a lot of the time, right? Like telling the truth is going to be polarizing enough in the recruiting world and all that. I mean, an example I've thought of recently is, you mentioned don't care about likes and comments. I mean, they're trying to do this whole thing with alien disclosures, and I feel like people don't even care, right? And if you told it's, me that like 20 years ago, I mean, people are so saturated, oversaturated with just info, with stuff, and look at this, and look at that. Like, the, the, the like the content senses are just deadened, right? But it, it, when it's true it and crazy. it's real, that's when people come alive, Yeah. yeah.
1: Well, and I love that too. And I said that to you on the podcast as well. Like you can really break through just being authentic these days. And yeah, yeah. don't, don't be afraid to use some AI to get some ideas. ideas going. You know, thing. I Absolutely. think, yeah, but, but don't, don't let someone else. I mean, this is just always taught to me. Like no one else should ever own my voice. Like my voice is my voice. It's such a powerful tool that we all have and make sure you're resonating with your voice. And to Clark's point, I think just don't be afraid to get it out there. And, and a lot of people, you just got to post more, you know? And like, if you're not comfortable doing it, then get out there and comment at first. I ju- just start getting engaging with other people. I think like there's a million ways to do it. You can send a note, you can give a like, but I promise you guys, if you're out there, just encouraging to do it. Like I, I feel that owning a business every day, I've got a billion dollar lottery ticket in my hand. Maybe the conversation I'm having with Clark's a billion dollar business, you know, maybe the next client's going to be, but Every day you've got that lottery ticket, but you got you to gotta communicate to be able to cash it in. And, and that's just kind of the way I look at the world. So like, I've got this lottery ticket, but it's just going to stay in my hand. I need to talk to someone. And, and maybe that's the person that's going to take this and turn it into a billion dollar. I don't know if that sounds, makes sense, but...
0: I love it. It has a great kind of like mindset and reframe to just get up out of bed and just attack every day with enthusiasm. Being a light, right? Be be the light that kind of you want to be, and it's not this whole big thing. It doesn't have to make big You Just kind of show up and do what you do every day. And kind of reach out, and the people are going to resonate, and you know that that those numbers are going to match up one day, you know. And mm-hmm. and that's that's the fun part, but also just enjoying that process is is huge too. So um, I, I, I love I it. I think-
1: I think that's so key Clark and I don't want to take that away from you, but you said something that resonates with me so well. You got to love what you do. I, I would argue that I know how hard you're working. I know how hard I'm working It, it as yet to feel like a day of work in however many years I've been doing it because it's, it's, it's mine, it's growing, it's fun. But at the same time, I think you and I both knew that I'd get into it. So really just focus on your passions too. You know, like if, if you love doing this, it won't feel like work every day. And if it feels like a grind every day, I mean, you got to grind a little bit, but you'll have the energy in there if it's truly your passion.
0: Yeah, I I think the grind comes in wanting to do a good job for people, right? If they commit to you and they they, they put your money, like they invest their money in you and everything like that ends up being the grind, but it's good clients. It's good partnerships. So it's like, it's worthwhile, but then you're solving bigger and bigger problems. Right. And that that's, Mm -hmm. Like, that's where, like, you almost want, I would say, like, these are the problems I prayed about. I always say that. Like, I I, I did pray for these I problems three to four years ago. I was a mess. Uh, and now it's just like, this is, I got to remind myself, this is where exactly where I want it to be. Right? And now I want to, I got to keep going.
1: And I, I don't think I talked about it much when you're on my episode. But, I mean, I recently rediscovered my faith as well, especially living over here in Romania and Orthodox. But, you know, it just, especially being to the skydiving accident I was in, it just, it eliminated all my distractions, you know, and I was successful before, you know, I, I had that injury just for the folks, I don't think I talked about it before mm-hmm. during the pandemic and when HCR was starting, I also blew my ACL out, my deltoid on a skydive accident. But it was that time too, Clark, where like, I was laying in bed and thinking about the team and, and growing the business. And I'm like, I'm not going to go out this way, but even today when everything's crushing and, and we, we definitely have challenging, stressful days, I remind myself too, like you're exactly where you told everyone you're going to be and you're exactly in the right position and the right mindset to not only handle this, but to grow from here into the next stage we're going to. And I think for me, I've just been, my martial arts, my faith, my physical fitness, all those disciplines, without those foundations, I would be floundering at a bunch, you know, because I was a really successful guy before I had my business, but I would argue if if I had committed to my disciplines as a younger man and understand that a lot of our desires are anchored to weights that'll limit you for, from ever reaching greatness, and a lot of your fears could be your guiding light to lead you to the person you are, that about shift that I, that kind of dichotomy in my brain that I had when I was going through the recovery, that made me a very different person coming out. Like I'm the same person, but I just kind of called myself my own BS. You know, it's like, okay, draw a line in the sand, step over it, it's time to go after it.
0: Well said. I think that is the moment. That, that, that's it. There's nothing else that, better that we could say right now. I mean, it, it's just, it's beautifully said. Um, you're a wealth of information and knowledge and just awesome. I love the energy. love the knowledge, the experience. It's, it's so fun to talk to you. I'm excited to keep these conversations going and see what we collaborate on. Sean, what are you working on? Where can we find you?
1: Uh, well, thanks so much for having me on. First of all, Clark, it's, uh, I'm sorry if I go off on too many tangents, but I, I could also, I, love it. I resonate right yeah. back with you. I, I could chat with you forever. Um, so a couple projects that we got coming out right now should be released in the next couple of weeks. So number one, you can find me on LinkedIn. My name's Sean Coe. It'll be listed down here. S-H-A-U-N-C-O-E. We've got a website, hc-resource.com. You can also find me on Apple, Spotify, anywhere where you like to listen to your podcast at. Uh, taking chances with Sean co we've got a couple episodes that were great with Clark on there um, The ebook we're releasing in a couple of weeks that I'm really excited about we've put together an it's about 72 pages right now don't hold me to there because there's no copy it could be a little bit longer with some of the images but we've got a great candidate ebook that from my perspective number one I think it's the best thing that's been out there. It's always going to be free, but we've taken the last 18 months of pain points from our candidates and from our clients, and we've really put this into an actionable book where you can kind of take this away and hopefully use it more as a syllabus. So like when you're going through your, you know, you get laid off or whatever's happened, you have a really good solid foundation for what you should do chronologically from fixing your LinkedIn all the way down to interview questions you should be asking, emotional IQ, all the stuff that's in there. I'm really... I really feel like I should charge for it, Clark, but I can't from my heart of hearts because it just came from one of these places where I really, you know, I want to help way more candidates than we can. The truth of the matter is, my company is not the best at reverse engineering a CV to a client because, like we said before, there's a certain type of client I want to work with. So, for those folks we can't, we try to get them in our network and give them as much information. And then the last thing that we'll have coming out, influenced a little bit by Clark, the Taking Chances podcast again, back to imposter belief was a little bit about me getting comfortable having a podcast and then really celebrating some, some great emotional stories of people that took a chance on themselves and how they played out. But starting in January, we're going to have two B2B podcasts come out. Um, Clark will probably be one of my first guests so he can notify you there, but really excited just to try to bring some more value like Clark is specifically to the recruitment companies and specifically to anyone that's building a brand out there. Right. So just excited to be here, Clark. Thanks so much again for having me. And I can't wait to our next conversation, my friend
0: likewise brother and uh some great updates i'm excited to see that playbook i think i I love that you're doing that for candidates i always say there's so many more ways that we can help candidates besides just us being the one to find them the job there's so much that they can learn that they don't know that we do know so i love that you're getting that information out there i think it's great that it's going to be free you're going to see a ton of value from that so great stuff sean thanks for being here man really appreciate it um And yeah, make sure, you know, download, like, subscribe, five stars, whatever you got to do on podcast for my podcast, for Sean's stuff, check that out. He's got some really cool guests on there. Um, I really enjoyed listening to that as well. So until next time, that's it for this episode of Digital Recruiter Podcast. Happy hunting.